Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 138. This cast is always sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% BIOS bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined this week, of course, with my two co-hosts, Ed Wynn of Tales of Adventure and Jim Casali of CoolStuffInc.com. How are you guys doing this week? I am fantastic. Thank you for asking. Great. Well, glad to see everyone's doing well. And uh, looks like Magic's doing pretty well. We have some new spoilers out of War of the Spark that came out since we last recorded. Do you guys want to go over any of the cool stuff that we've seen since then? I think that's what the listeners would like to hear. And then you go into it. Jim. <laughs> oh, okay. Am I supposed to pick the cards that I'm like most interested in, or? Well, you we are just, like... casual Mc Mc McFlee over here, so. Uh, McFlee. I don't uh, know. Charlie Casual, Casali uh, Casual. That's the new nickname. Oh, okay. Could be a dress style. Maybe. Uh, what, uh, is, is that where people... you are, like graphic tees and shorts, like slightly below your waist? Don't make fun of every Magic player out there. So, Jim, what's caught your attention from War of the Spark? Uh, so, the most recent... I'm trying to bring up the spoilers. This webpage is taking forever to load. Uh, the most like recent thing that I'm excited about is uh, the Ralzarek. Uh, I don't know what it's going to pre-order for, since it literally just got officially spoiled, and I don't think any uh, websites have it up for pre-order yet. It's... Not a planeswalker that you play for any of its abilities other than its like uh static ability, but it's a really kind of cool two card combo. I guess three card combo, uh, in standard that just kills people. Uh, because you can use, or I guess you could do this in commander too. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, so route Ra storm conduit says whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell. He deals one damage to target opponent or planeswalker. And his minus two is whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for that copy. Hmm. No, that doesn't work the way I thought it did. Okay. So basically, uh, if you have two fork effects, uh, you can in infinitely do them and then kill people. So, like, if you cast opt and then you cast fork and then you cast uh, expansion on the fork or just expansion on expansion. Uh, you can just keep copying the spell that co that copies spells and then kill people. So uh, I don't know if this is going to be like an EDH all-star or even like a, a standard role player because it's a pretty hard combo to interact with. Like the only way you can stop it is with a counter spell or with a spell that deals four or more damage to Rao. Uh, or I guess it would be six damage because he'll probably plus him the first turn you play him. So I think that's kind of cool. Um, I'm not sure if it's like a real thing that's going to happen in standard. I think that that's because it's a rare, it's probably not going to be particularly expensive unless it's like obnoxious to play against uh, and, and quite good. But there's definitely a lot of like interesting things that have been spoiled today that I I think we might want to talk about. Um, the Parhelion 2 is I don't know a giant. It's like the, the, it's sacred foundry flies and shoots angels at you or something. 
I don't think it's good, but it's like it's the kind of card that you might like open in a booster pack or play in a draft. You're like, oh man, this is unplayable. I can never cast this card. And then you'll leave it in a box for like four years, and then there's just gonna be like some rando weird thing that combos extremely well with it that's gonna just like make it spike in value. Or it'll just be like Avison and it'll just like go up over time because it's it, it makes it it has a very big effect and it's pretty unique for what it does. Um so like this is like a kind of thing that you like if you want to speculate on bulk rares, like wait till this becomes a bulk rare and then buy a bunch of them because there might be some point in the future where there's like some I don't know, some legendary creature that like lets you put a uh, a vehicle into play for free or something like that. Like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that that could get good. Uh, Feather, I yeah, as a card. To... So we've already seen movement on this in the last couple of hours. Jim, do you want to talk about what Feather actually does, and then I'll talk about some of the stuff people are going deep on. So. Uh, there have been a couple of cards so far that in Boros that like really feel to me like they're leaning heavily into um, heroic, and this is another one of those cards. So it's red, white, white for a three-four flyer, which is pretty good to begin with. Like it's hard to cast, understandably, but three mana for a three-four flyer is just generally good. Uh, and then it has the ability that says, whenever you cast an insert or sorcery spell that targets a creature, you control exile that card instead of putting it into your graveyard as it resolves. If you do, return it to your hand at the beginning of your ne next end step. So what that does is it lets you like rebuy things that target creatures, or at least target your creature. Um, but it doesn't have to only target your creature. So like you can cast... Uh, Aurelius Fury. Man, on I your... was just about to talk about that. So when yeah. I said, "Hey Jim, why don't you tell everyone what the card does?" and then I'll talk I was about gonna tell them how you use it move. too with Aurelius Fury. Yeah. So Aurelius Fury is a talk with um, some of the feather mechanics. Sunforger is another one that a lot. Did Jeremy just cut out, or is it just me? I think Jeremy is very distorted. He kind of talked, and then he kind of... Sunforger, as I was saying, is a card that a lot of uh, finance people are interested in. And you're also seeing tertiary spikes and stuff like Mirwing Dragon that also um, matters a lot on this archetype. So Sunforger and Aurelius Fury are basically gone. Uh, a bunch of speculators already bought them off the internet, and if you want any, you're going to have to go to your LGS. Mirwing Dragon is one where there's still a couple of copies around online, and it's another one that, like, this card will probably be in your bulk bin at your LGS, and it it's doing the exact same thing that Feather wants. So that's just another card to keep an eye on. I don't like Avarice Dragon, which people are also mentioning, but I think Mirwing Dragon is a good one. So I feel like if you're going to do something like that, like there are probably still better things that you can look for, like Zada, Hedron, something. What is the name of that card? Uh, it's, Archive? Is it Z Zada, Hedron, Archive? Oh, no. Hedron Grinder. Hedron Grinder, right. Yeah, Zada, Hedron Grinder is, uh, is a card that has been, well, I think it's already been reprinted once, but works very well with Feather and like cards that like you draw cards for example or things that like put tokens of your stuff into play um 
But there's also like the other thing where it's like you can play cards like Fell the Mighty and Chandra's Ignition, and there's like a lot of other weird, dumb things that you could put in that style of deck. But ultimately, I don't, I don't think it's very good. I know a lot of people are excited about it, but Boros decks tend to not have enough interaction or card advantage to really work out well in in more casual formats. If they're just trying to beat people to death, it usually ends up working much better. Um, and the fact that you can still play creatures even if you get hit by Aurelia's Fury and you still have options to play instants in response to Aurelia's Fury really leaves me to have a lot to be desired. Like, on paper, it looks pretty good, but I think in practice it's not going to be as exciting as people think it is. <laughs> but... Uh, other than that, there's like some other pretty sweet cards. Um, this is not a card that's going to get very expensive, but it's a card that could make other cards less expensive. Uh, there's a two-minute instant called Forced Landing. It's one in a green. Uh, it says put target creature with flying on the bottom of its owner's library, which doesn't sound that much different than Plummet, except for the fact that it very cleanly deals with uh, Arclight Phoenix and... What's the other phoenix? The two red red one that dies and makes the token. Firewing? Yeah, firewing phoenix. Oh, rekindling. rekindling. Rekindling phoenix. Yeah, the other like those are two cards I played a lot in standard right now, and plummet was just like kind of miserable against both of them. This is a card that can deal with both of those pretty easily. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if like foils of this are actually quite expensive in modern, based on how much people are playing uh, arclight phoenix. So if you open a uh, foil of this, the pre-release, like even though it's a common, it could be worth a couple of dollars. Um, there's some other like weird random cards, like Evolution Sage might be good. It it could be like one of those casual all stars where it, like it doesn't see sta see playing standard, but it's just good enough for people that want to play tokens. Um, other than that, like. Mobilized District, I think, looks interesting, but I'm not sure how good it'll actually be in practice. Uh, it's a little bit bigger than a Mutavault, which is nice, but it's more, much more mana to activate. And I feel like when it costs the same amount of mana, you're going to be winning the game anyway, so I don't know how good that card is going to be. That being said, car like lands that do things other than make mana are quite good, and even if their effect is not very mana efficient, a lot of people will still end up playing them because... It's better than your like eleventh basic land in play. Um, I don't. I so there's another legendary creature that I'm reading that like I. It's not definitely not a card that I would ever play, but it's. I feel like it's a card that could be played in a format that Jeremy, you're very familiar with. Tomuk, Distinguished Advocist. How, how, what are what are legacy people saying about? Is that, that the card? Death in Texas one? Yeah, that's the white, white, two, three flyer that does a bunch of like really silly things with lands. Like lands yeah. on the battlefield and lands in the graveyards can't be targeted with spells or abilities your opponents control. So it stops. Um, it stops, it stops land. land. It yeah, stops. it stops the whole lands deck because you can't. You play also life can't the target um, for the black green depths deck. Like Thespian Stage can't target dark depths. That's true. Also, and then another thing that says your opponents can't pay lands from the graveyard, which and it stops Delver. Because it's a flyer. Like, holy power creep. If this was just, like, two white, like, white, white for a 2-3 flyer, that's, like, already power creep. And then so, the rest is just gravy. 
I mean, it's a legendary creature, which, you know, it'll obviously have the same kind of effects that, like, playing multiple, multiple Thalia Garden of Thraben does, where, yeah, it's a bit ahead of the curve, but the fact that it's legendary means that you can't get, like, beat down by them very easily. But I was just wondering if, like, people had a lot to say about this card in particular, right? If it was good, if it was bad, if it was overrated, if it was underrated, I don't know Unlike how people feel about it. modern... There's a lot more flexibility in Legacy. So this won't be in every Death and Taxes deck. This will just be much more dependent on a meta. Instead of just having like... Did you guys see how much Arclight Phoenix dominated the SCG Open this weekend? Like Legacy hasn't been like that in a very long time. Oh, so, it, was, it was good in the Legacy no, Open? Or the, I'm, I'm saying that the format is much more diverse than modern. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it could be because, like, it's obviously much more difficult to switch decks because of how expensive they are. Right. But if you look at a lot of the recent Legacy events, Legacy is extremely diverse right now. So even if Death and Taxes is playing this, it would probably be a one or two of at most in the sideboard. And that's not going to move the price that much. Versus you look at something like Smothering Tithe, which is now 9 or $10 because it's ubiquitous in every EDH deck. This won't see the exact same amount of play in Death and Taxes. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I thought that that was likely to be the case, but I don't have my ear quite to the ground in the same places as you do yeah. in that in that regard. Um, I know a lot of people are like excited about Dreadhorde Arcanist, which is the two-mana 1-3 trample that whenever it attacks, you can cast an instant or sorcery from your graveyard with power uh, with cost less than it or less than or equal to its power. Um, people want to play this in like modern burn, but I think it's way too slow. Uh, most of your spells that cost like only some of your burn spells actually cost one. Like your lightning bolts and your lava spikes cost one, but your rift bolts and your skewer the critics don't. So you can't cast those from your graveyard, and a lot of your one-drops are also creatures, which you can't cast from your graveyard. I can't imagine how anyone would want to play a two-mana guy that doesn't have haste and also doesn't do damage the turn it comes into play. Like, I don't know if the Great Riffle has one more power and does two damage the first time your opponent casts a spell, which you know usually they have to do to win, you know, to, to progress their board state and win the game. So I don't see this as being a card that's going to be quite good. I think this is not like another one of those. Um, oh man, what was the two mana two two that dealt two damage whenever you activated an ability? People were really high on that. It was from Amonkhet. Harsh Mentor. Yeah, Harsh Mentor. People were like the pre-order price of that was like eight or nine dollars, and it's a bulk rare now. It, I think it's kind of in the same boat. Like people think it looks really cool because it's different, but I don't think it actually is good. So I probably wouldn't buy any of these. And if you get any of the pre-release, you should probably just sell them. Um, I don't know. Are there any other cards that you're like, speci you specifically want to talk about? Anything that is, has caught your eyes? Uh, nothing for me. Like I've, I've been definitely following it just to kind of see what is out there. Uh, I think... We don't actually know, since we don't know the rarity, um, the distribution, unless it's just straight up just one Planeswalker per pack, um, and like regards to rarities, I don't know if we can have the possible double rare pack with a rare Planeswalker and a normal rare. 
It should be the same as it was with Dominaria. So if you got a rare or a mythic legendary creature in Dominaria, I do not believe you got a second rare, correct? I don't think we have that information yet. Um, but I think this, regardless of that, um, I think the singles might initially be depressed based on how much people want to open this. Uh, just the nature of being the lore of having a planeswalker in every pack is probably enough for people to just want to crack this in mass. I think sealed product will probably be very high on this initially. I think there will we, we might see a situation similar to um, Dominaria last year, where there's initially a lot of people wanting to open up the sealed product, and they're just for the first few weeks towards the beginning of May, there wasn't a sealed product to go around. I feel like depending on how much they printed and how much they expect the set, how well they expect the set to do, there might be initial shortage, which will probably cause some of the better mythics to spike initially. Um, but other than that, I don't think there's, I haven't seen anything that has really caught my eye yet. Um, it is a little bit interesting that planeswalkers are across all rarities. I imagine some of the cheaper planeswalkers at the uncommon level probably won't be uh below 50 cents to 75 cents um for ever i guess though I, I imagine that's probably the floor for them uh even even the cheapest bulky planeswalkers um at rare level the floor on them is generally about a dollar or a dollar 50 or so um but beyond like outside of that i actually haven't seen any I don't think any of the rares particularly appeal to me as a smothering type level casual card that I want to go out and buy a thousand of or something. Yep. Anything else you guys want to talk about with war or do we want to move on to our credit winner? Uh, we can move on to the credit winner. I think that's, it's a good time for that. Oh, right. I should probably read the question. <laughs> um, so our uh, winner this week is Mike Mazujan. Maybe? I don't know. I tried. I apologize. Man, wh why should we one of you guys read the names instead of me? Because this is, yeah, after the cast, Jeremy's going to be like, oh, yeah, this is a guy that comes to my shop all the time. His name is... Uh, it's not. I don't know this guy. Okay, but like you've done that times before, and you're like, oh yeah, I, I, you said his name right. It, I, I, you know, I see him at my store all the time. Yep. Uh, sorry to get off topic. So Mike asks, hey guys, with all the hype around War of the Spark, is there something else you should be paying attention to? I know we should go deep. You should be deep into rotation sell-off, and modern generally increases around this time of year. But is there anything else? I feel like I'm missing something. Thanks for the great cast. Um, I mean personally. I don't think there's anything that you need to be worried about right now other than those two things. Like, yeah, definitely if you have a bunch of standard cards that you don't play with, you should probably get rid of them, uh, especially if they're about to rotate. If you have cards that you are thinking about buying from uh, stuff that is standard sets that aren't rotating, maybe purchase those, Like, especially like bulk rares or bulk mythics that you like foresee yourself wanting to play in standard. Um, because when rotation comes, anything can happen. Any any amount of cards can be better or worse than they were previously due to what's available in the new standard. Um, so 
other than that, like I think that modern, um, well, I don't know that much about organized play anymore because they changed it again. I don't know if they're like PPTQs don't exist anymore. So there's not really a modern PPTQ season where people need to buy those cards. So I'm not sure that modern is really going to have a, a big jump from like the time of year necessarily, but people might be very excited for it once uh, Modern Horizons is released. So if there were cards for your decks that you're thinking about buying uh, right now, it's probably a good idea to try to get those squared away, especially if there are cards that like are for decks that aren't the toppest tier right now. Like if you're not playing a Death Shadow deck and you're not playing an Arclight Phoenix deck, if you're playing like Humans, for example, and you really don't have everything and all, all your ducks in a row yet, like that's the kind of stuff I would be more interested in buying because we know that none of the cards that are available in the modern right now are being reprinted in Modern Horizons. So your deck can theoretically only get better from here. Um, I think it's unlikely that they make your deck worse unless you're playing the highest tier of deck right now, which I'm not even sure that they foresee, foresaw this happening. So, um, I mean, other than that, like, we're a couple of months away from a new commander set, so I wouldn't really worry that much about that. And I don't, I don't really think that there's anything else like pressing that would cause a a, a big spike one way or another. Ed, you're the professional vendor. Tm. What? Um, I think. Uh, I want to be focusing my efforts on modern right now. We're a few weeks out from the Pro Tour. The biggest impact there is this is probably the most visibility that Modern is getting. Um, yes, we've had a bunch of Grand Prix. We've had um, a bunch of SCG Opens that have kind of show, been showcasing Modern. A lot of Modern cards have just slowly been creeping up in price. Uh, that's actually something I'll talk a bit more when we have a pick of the week. But um, I think the biggest change here... And that, and ultimately, it might change magic going forward. Is how the London Mulligan rule is implemented. Um, one, we don't actually. This might. It could very well be the only tournament where the London rule is applicable. I believe it will be on Magic Online for a week or so leading up to the Pro Tour uh, for people to be able to test with it. But this is again kind of the the time when people are either refining decks that exist or testing to see if some hyperlinear combo deck gets a huge boon from the London Mulligan strategy. Um, and again, if the London Mulligan is something that they choose to implement going forward, this, again, that's going to just completely change the face of Magic and how Modern operates. Uh, we further compound with Modern Horizons around the corner, and that, again, might just completely turn Modern on its head. I think there's a lot of cards that, even if we do see modern fundamentally change, there's. I've mentioned that there's cards that will just always be good. Um, a lot of the fetches have just quietly been trending upwards. Vernon Catacombs, you really can't find them for less than seventy dollars at this point. I sold twelve of them on TCG for sixty-five this weekend. Yeah, yeah, right. And if you think of you know. A, Jeremy as having a bunch on TCG and he's selling through all I I, I don't know how many you have in stock, but if twelve we Okay, so he sold through all his stock. Okay, so who's the next vendor that's gonna have him in stock? And it's very I imagine the next vendor has him in stock probably is going to be charging more than what Jeremy charged. Yep. Um, and then if we just keep 
you know, knocking this down the line, right? Like it's these singles that are in high demand, low supply. It seems like a no brainer that they are going to get expensive, especially if, you know, any, any one of these major changes fuel, whatever the next modern meta looks like. Um, and we've already seen kind of scaling Tarn uh, hit the top levels. I don't think scaling Tarn will be much more expensive than it is now. I have not sold on any, and I've been the lowest on TCG for a while. Okay. Um, but I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that we see some of the cheaper ones catch up along with like some other staples that have not had a reprint. There's no foreseeable reprint on them, and some of them are kind of fringe. Um, but I think a lot of them are probably going to get more expensive once the Pro Tour hits, and especially with... Uh, in reference to what Jim said about organized play, I think a lot of stores have started to unveil that they have the MCQ or whatever the whatever the premier event is um, that is replacing PTQs at the store level. I know a lot of stores I think are have them in June, and I uh, I don't know what the actual format looks like, but these are the types of things that bring more visibility to modern, and it's the type of things that make cards more expensive. Um, I would pay attention to duels and the reserve list, and that's it. So, nothing crazy to add there. Sorry, man. Man, you're so helpful, Jeremy. Thanks for all I mean, your store we, insights. I, I talked about this for like 30 minutes last week, so that's where I'm focused. I, I have already defended my position there. So, all right. Well, Mike, thanks for the question. Uh, you can send us an email at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com, and I'll get you your $25 gift certificate to coolstuffing.com. If any of you listening would like to win a $25 gift certificate to coolstuffing.com, you can leave a question on the page that will go up the day after. It should go up the day after the cast, which should be uh, Tuesday, April 9th. Uh, leave a question. If you get selected, you can win $25 of coolstuffing.com store credit. Yeah, this guy messaged me on Facebook. Is this what you're referring to, Ed? What's up? I, I mean, I don't know what... What you just posted. He messaged the cartel Facebook group. Oh, he did? Okay. Um, yeah. I, Go I for it. I didn't see that. Uh, so this was another question. Uh, not our winner this week, but I think this is a good question that's probably worth touching on. Um, shout out to Tom Simmons for posting this on uh, the page. Uh, his question is, over the past couple of weeks, you guys have made mention of the prospects for power to rally again as modern staples continue to climb and collectors attempt to trade up for duels, power, etc. I'm fully on board with the logic behind this argument since we've seen this movie before. However, I wonder if you have any opinions on whether or not there is a practical limitation for prices on some of these cards. For instance, can an unlimited Black Lotus really climb that far past $6,000 for a played copy? Obviously, many people throughout recent history have made the mistake of saying they can't get more expensive than this, can it, and sold out, but each time this question is asked at higher and higher prices. It is more and more likely that the answer will be no. Uh, it is more and more likely the answer will be no. This is the top. Are we getting close to that point? Um, uh, so I guess to kind of summarize, there's a lot going on there. Uh, but you're biased. 
Your entire income is derived from selling these cards, right? Uh, not necessarily. So uh, to kind of summarize what he's saying here is, is there necessarily a price cap? Uh, he references Black Lotus here. That's the card that people will discuss the most. Um, and I would say that um, I think there is there certainly will be a price uh, a price cap on it. Um, but I think it's higher than anything that we will hit in the immediate future. Um, so in regards to your question, uh, unlimited black loses are actually more than $6,000 for a played copy uh, because Card Kingdom has set a fairly high buy list on near mint ones. And the way they, um, the way they adjust for condition is they basically pay 100% of that value for near mint, 80% for... They're paying 8,000 for oh. LP right now. Okay, yeah. Okay, so it's it must be slightly, slightly different. But usually for most cards, it's 180, 60%. Um, if we're operating on... Uh, if we're operating on that basis on a nine thousand dollar near mint lotus that they that they would pay an MP ish copy, which is probably what most what most people think of as a played lotus, that means they're paying fifty four hundred. Um, that sets a, a pretty high floor. Um, clearly, if you can get fifty four hundred dollars, right, then you probably need to be charging more than that in a retail setting. You probably need to be charging at least six thousand. Um, if we look at some other markets that have um, uh, regarding collectibles, if we look at some other markets, Beanie babies, have, Bitcoin, uh, uh, thank you, baseball Jeremy. cards, comic books. But baseball cards isn't applicable. If you actually read Beckett's report on some of the top selling cards, a lot of them continue to be sports cards, and a lot of them show growth that has six uh, that has surpassed what they've actually um, been in the past years. Correct. Um, right, and like you could argue, you can make the argument that it's. Uh, specular A trying to sell to Specular B who thinks he's smarter than Specular A and then Specular C would want to buy from Specular B because he thinks he's smarter than both A and B. And that's unnaturally driving the price up. But regardless, it just goes to show that for these for these auctions and transactions that are visible, there are people out there that are actually paying um, uh, large dollars for this. Um, and I bring this up, all this is... This, all this is based on my experience only, so it's one of those your mileage may vary. But um, I was recently in Uber, and when I was talking with my Uber driver about what I did, he brought up, he brought up the question. I actually mentioned Magic the Gathering, and he said he actually just saw an article on some online news thing, and it actually discussed the $166,000 Alpha Lotus that sold at PWCC at auction last month. Um, and this is the kind of visibility that is probably going to draw people from outside magic itself because at $166,000 you're basically at the point of like amazing Spider-Man number one, right? Like that comic has continued to get more and more expensive. Uh, one, because they get exponentially harder to find in good condition and the market for them actually grows despite the fact that they get exponentially more expensive. Um, Obviously, there's like some busts. Every collectible market is the same. You know, Jeremy referenced Beanie Babies. Uh, Bitcoin is actually on the rise again. It's it's at five point two k right now. Oh, let's make uh, another bet. I was actually going to do that, but I'm on the straight and narrow. I'm not making any idiotic wager that's going to result in me losing. Your my hair is about to be straight and narrow, Ed. 
Uh, I like my hair where it's at right now. <laughs> um, but I believe that because we have now drawn um, interest from parties that are no longer necessarily just magic players, the cap on Black Lotuses or these ultra high end cards is probably not. We're, we're not there yet. I think a lot of these have a lot of room to um, to continue grow. to grow. Yep. However, just an interesting data point to add, to add to add to this: one hundred and sixty six thousand dollars is what publicly sold. Okay, so there's no confirmation that the Alpha Lotus sold for four hundred thousand, uh, despite what. A vendor certainly claims on their website. Um, we certainly do have that someone paid one hundred and sixty-six thousand cash, and not four hundred thousand. There is a long way to go between those prices. So just keep that in mind, because I've seen people floating that number around, and even when the vendor mentions that it sold for four hundred thousand, he doesn't even say four hundred thousand cash. So. That's just something to keep in mind. I, I just, yeah. Yeah, I, I will admit, admittedly say that this is the type of thing that do the research, look at numbers. I can't imagine we have any ultra high rollers that listen to this podcast. Um, but for example, if you're in the market for an alpha starter, uh, those have gone from low 20s last year. 42,000. To like forty two thousand, I think most the people who have them available, if you can actually get one that's good and you aren't trying to cut corners with one that is potentially resealed, you're probably paying like forty two to fifty thousand dollars for them. I believe, I think, Bruso is asking fifty, and that's because he's one of the most established sellers in the game when it comes to that. I don't actually know if he has any for sale. So really, yeah, like if. Like I think I, I feel like if you said, "Hey, here's fifty thousand dollars. Let me buy one," he probably would not sell one to you. So interesting. Maybe his number has changed since I last talked to him. I think it's less an issue of the number. I think it's more an issue of what he's wanting to sell. So, oh. but if you want to buy from a a seller who has the connections and the credibility, you will certainly pay a premium most of the time. It's like buying from TCG versus Star City. Exact same comparison. So, um, yeah, as far as Lotus and Power goes, it only takes a couple people to control the supply. And not like three people, but 0.1% of Magic players. So even if we go through a recession, uh, there's still some people that will make money during the recession, and they'll be looking to acquire these cards as an investment or just to play with. Like a lot of the people since 2015, I want to say, Ed, have been buying some of this stuff, throwing it in a vault and forgetting about it. They're not buying and flipping them every week. Yeah, that's what I do with like Kozilek's and not uh, Black Lotuses. Yet. You just need to do a spec on more Kozilek's to get a Black Lotus. I don't think there's enough Black Lotus, or sorry, I don't think there's enough Kozileks in the world to get to a Black Lotus at this at the rate at the rate that Black Lotus is growing. Like, uh, I don't think that that's a reasonable expectation. Oh. 
anything else you want to add, Ed, about this? Because it's a great question. Um, not necessarily. I think if you want to actually like, if you want to delve deeper into the world of collectibles and actually see how markets with much higher uh, market caps operate, take a look at some sports cards. There are a lot of them that um, I, I realize that baseball cards is the one that people reference that have kind of gone through a huge boom cycle and then regressed very rapidly. I guess you could call it a bubble. Um, but a lot of sports cards do very well. You still have some people um, that actually have deep pockets that invest very heavily in sports cards. Um, I think the most notable one that has seen probably close to an unnatural amount of growth and probably will see another unnatural amount of growth is Tom Brady's uh, 2000 rookie card. Um, that card has that card has grown very quickly, and every time he wins a Super Bowl, the price actually goes up like 10%. Um, and I think that was also on Beckett's uh, report of like one of their top-selling cards. Um, and if you actually look at the price history, it's, it's not terribly different than what Black Lotus would look like, I imagine. Um, there's there's um you can basically say a black lotus operates kind of the same way there have been several points especially in more recent years that we've seen a fairly steady growth and then you will see a brief spike and then it'll kind of level out in terms of growth again something will happen and it'll spike up again um the other thing which is important is we saw power get sucked over to europe in the last recession and whenever another recession happens in whatever country expect the power in that country to be sucked out first if there's another re recession so don't say if you know it's a one we don't know which country first though so like say italy defaults on its loans greece defaults on its loans brexit like, happens and the the eu collapses yes or, that or expect, it could be anybody but what i'm saying is if you're interested in some of this stuff isn't the first one to have a recession then watch which way the cards and money are flowing so because a lot of Europeans did very well in 08 when all the power got sucked out of America not like all of it but you know what I mean yeah for that reason I think I think we had mentioned it two weeks ago two or three weeks ago um if you really want to stay ahead in this business, look beyond just um, just basic MTG finance. Look at what goes on in the world. Look at actual people who actually know how to run businesses. Um, look at different markets. Uh, read up, see how they operate, and ha having a broader understanding is probably where you get ahead in this, as opposed to just blindly following what you know, just blindly following what MTG stocks says about the biggest spikes or something. What are you talking about? I thought the best way for a finance podcast was to read MTG stocks every week. I mean, there's still there's something to be gained by looking at MTG stocks and seeing what has gone up in price. But the conclusion you should be drawing there is to figure out what is going to happen next. Because you can never you once something has already spiked, it's usually too late. Unless it's yep. gonna spike again. But that's like pretty unlikely and very rare. So if you if you see a card that that is spiking on MTG stocks, think about what why is it spiking, who's buying it, why are they buying it, what other cards are like that card, what other cards go with that card, 
stuff like that. Like you can stay ahead a step ahead of the game by looking at that kind of stuff, but don't like take it as like, oops, we should go buy this now because you know, oh, a sliver legion is like $75 or some stupid thing. I don't even know. Yep. But I think it's important to note uh, 2013, 2014, even everything in modern spiked. We all were playing the game or buying or selling magic cards then. 20 end of 2014, beginning of 2015, cards began to spike just because, oh, it's a modern. And demand wasn't there once they spiked, and a lot of people got hosed versus like you could make a lot of money because a lot of modern cards spiked like two to three times within 18 months. And on the tail end of that, a lot of people lost money. So that's it. I have nothing else to add to that. I think, I think uh, this was definitely a pretty good question. It's definitely one of those things that does warrant a bit of discussion. Um, obviously not every listener is going to be in the market for a black Lotus. You know, there's, um, or whatever, but I think it's, it's just something to think about, um, as just as a, it's a relatively small and simple economy, um, but trying to, trying to understand how it works. Um, if you're, especially if you're trying to stay ahead and, you know, pick up your last bits of legacy or whatever, um, this certainly has applications to the people who are just looking to make the game cheaper for them. Pick of the week. Yeah, Ed, what's your pick of the week? Uh, so I currently like uh, Masters twenty five boxes. Um, they were at the point where supply on them is kind of low. I've looked at Star City and Card Kingdom. Uh, they. They don't always seem to have a ton of them in stock, and either they, whenever I see them out of stock, they seem to be listed at slightly higher price after that. Um, and a big part of this is a lot of uh, the hard to find and more demand, in demand cards in Masters 25 have started to get expensive. Uh, Chalice is a ways up from its low. I think it's pushing it's like it's pushing to sixty dollars. Uh, the resurgence of Amulet Bloom has made uh, Azusa gone up. That card was like ten. I think it was like as low as like ten, twelve dollars at one point, and now it's like thirty-five or something. That is not the case. Uh, the lowest it was ever was fifteen because that's when I bought it because I was waiting for it to go to ten. You are wrong because I have sold someone TCG for twelve. Oh my god! Why didn't you tell me I would have bought them? You're the worst. It must have been after I gave yep. up. I definitely sold some for twelve. But uh, continue, Ed. Uh, regardless, there's definitely like some other winners in there as well. Incendiary Bridge has like quietly crept up. Jace has been on the upswing. Um, obviously, there's a lot of misses in Masters 25 that um, that make it a little rough. But I think as a whole, excuse me, it wouldn't surprise me to see Masters 25 boxes creep up. Um, if uh, if you remember when I talked about Iconic Master boxes a few months back, I don't know if it was few months. I don't think it's been that long. Iconic Masters boxes are getting fairly expensive as well. They've disappeared pretty fast um, once the EV on the singles got quite good and people were just opening what they had and it made sealed boxes uh, the next target for them. 
So Masters 25 boxes and kind of indirectly Masters 25 singles that are on the upswing. Uh, so I'm not totally sure on this one, but I'm having, I'm having a feeling, um, there's gotta be something good in, in the standard sets right now that we just like don't know about yet. So I'm going to, I, I, I'm, I don't want to pick one card. I just kind of want to get like a variety of cards that like people might not probably won't play together, but will have some amount of usefulness apart uh i think that expansion explosion is uh a card that we'll probably see a lot more play coming up it's you know very good against planeswalkers it's pretty good against creatures it has that new combo with rousrek to kill people uh i think that people at least are going to experiment with that uh i also think the priest of the forgotten gods and gutter bones are cards that are a little underrated in standard right now uh, the addition of um, the Orzov, what is that thing called? Let me look at the Twitter account. The two mana two two that drains people. Cruel Celebrant. There we go. Or it's a one two. Whatever. Uh, Cruel Celebrant makes it so that decks that are more reliant on value with cards like Priest of the Forgotten Gods and Gutter Bones are much better. Uh, both of these cards are about a dollar. And could get much more expensive if that's the kind of deck, the more grindy deck that people want to play. Um, especially after rotation, when a lot of cards that would otherwise be better than this, like the mono red stuff, gets much worse after rotation. And most of these value engines continue to be part of standard. So those are the cards I'm looking at. Um, I'm not like I'm not promising that they're going to get more expensive, but they definitely won't be less expensive than they are now. I have three based on if the new Niv Mizzet is real, which is the multicolor dragon crazy thing that has not well, been. We will find yet. out next week because the part three of this of the uh, arc should be next week. Correct. So first one is Tome of the Guild Pact. It's a five mana artifact. Whenever you cast a multicolored spell, draw a card, and it says tap, add one mana of any color. The second one is Urza's Filter. Um, it's an artifact. Multicolored spells you control or cast. They cost up to two colorless less to cast. And then Dragon Arch, which is an artifact. And for two and tap, you may put a multicolored creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. So there's already interest in these, but this is something where a lot of people are going to see these type of cards and run with it if the niv is real. We saw movement on these when Scion was printed, which was the Dragon Commander from 2017, I want to say. Um, but just keep these in mind. If there is a viable multicolor deck that happens because of niv it will just simply put additional pressure on these cards. So, Yeah. I went with the, the cheap one. And in, at, like at worst, if the card's not even real, they still have casual demand among all of these. So, are they insane in EDH? No. But could it grow a little bit? Sure. I mean, even if you just like buy a bunch of these and wait for a commander... What is it? Command cast? The Jimmy and... Uh, 
And um, if it basically the way that cards work these days, especially commander cards, is if they get played on the command cast or the command zone, sorry, the command zone, uh, then they just immediately spike in price because people are just like, oh, I don't know how this card works. I don't know if it's very good. And then like infinity people see it. It happened with Shadowborn Apostle. It happened with uh, Smothering Tides. Basically, if the deck wins on camera, people will be very excited and purchase a lot of them. Is that it? Did we deliver good finance stuff? You tell me, man. I think this is a good episode. We continue to get better and better. So where can people find you? Uh, Yo, go ahead. Go ahead, Ed. I I want to step on your toes. Don't we have, like, an order to this? I mean, haven't we done enough episodes at this point where there's... Sometimes, but, like, I can't resist the the ability to just, like, mess with you a little bit. I am Edwin. I am at Edwin13 on Twitter. You can find me at the Tales of Adventure booths at USGPs. Uh, after 11 weeks, I am taking this week off. I have had done... I've done 12 events in a row. Wait, what? It. I you promised be... to work my legacy event this weekend. What's that? You promised to work my legacy 5K this weekend. You had a legacy 5K this weekend? Yeah, you're on this one. Doug's on the next one. You Wait, guys what? already agreed on. Are you serious? Oh, awkward. Uh, regardless, I'm in Hawaii no, this I'm weekend. So, <laughs> so uh, GG to Jeremy. Uh, then I'll actually be in Japan next week for Yokohama. Same. And you guys High can five. find me on Twitter at Win13. Jim? My name is Jim Casal. You can find me interrupting Ed at every possibility. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore, and you can find me on Cool Stuff Inc. every other week. I'm Jeremy. I was in New York today buying a cartel listeners collection. So if anyone needs a stack of candlesticks, hit me up. Um, I'm flying back to Korea next week. Hopefully my connection will be good enough to record on Monday, and then I'll probably go annoy you at it in osaka um you can find me on twitter at missouri mtg you can find the cast on twitter at cartel underscore finance you can find us on youtube soundcloud coolstuffing.com mtg cast all that fun stuff hopefully uh you guys enjoyed this cast thanks for listening and as always guess what ed bye bye